0: We are one week into Lent. How's it going for you? How are you doing? Bishop Caggiano offers his reflections and thoughts and suggestions today on Let Me Be Frank. So keep your radio right here at 1350 AM or 103.9 FM, or keep us on your phone with the Veritas mobile app. The app is free at the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or VeritasCatholic.com. Let Me Be Frank is brought to you by a grant from Foundations in Faith. Pastors and ministry leaders in the Diocese of Bridgeport are invited to apply for program support grants with the St. John Paul II Fund for Religious Education and Faith Formation. With a focus on youth engagement and innovative approaches, the JP II Fund has funded diverse programs typically running from September to June. And pastors and ministry leaders here can apply for up to $10,000 in support of religious education and faith formation programs. The application window is open now until Friday, March 31st. To apply, go online to foundationsinfaith.org. Okay, here we go. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. I am Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve,
1: good to be with you, my friend. Always good, Excellency, always good. Yes, especially that we are now in the midst of Lent. Yes, one week in. Imagine my favorite time of the year. Believe it or not. Yeah. I don't think you've ever said that before on the air. Yeah, Why is it that? Is. It is uh, because uh, I was going to say it's because of my morose personality. No, <laughs> it's it's because it's it's quieter. It's more reflective. It's um, more introspective and therefore it fits my personality because I keep saying, and people don't believe me, I am by nature much more of an introvert than an extrovert. I feel more comfortable in a season like Lent. For all of the emphasis on sinfulness and repentance, which I desperately need as everybody else probably does, I just find this to be a very peaceful, and fruitful time. It just, it's, and of course, the ending of winter, uh, the beginning of spring is always very uplifting to me, right? And it is not quite in the depth of winter, which is like January and February, which can can be like a a tremendous desert experience, depending on what your psyche is like. But now you have hope because once you get to March, then there's St. Patrick's Day. Then Holy Week is not far away. Easter is coming. Spring begins. Do you know what I mean? So I, yes. I, I, love, I love this. I love e- Lent and Easter. The, to get, when I was a kid, it was, let's say, from Halloween to Epiphany. And that's still also a beautiful time and one of my favorite times because of all the celebrations. And it's just, it's just great. And I've said that. But this is much more of my time. I don't know if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it it does. So, so what are some of the things, uh, the concrete, I guess, changes to routine or anything that you do differently? Specifically? Oh, okay. So now,
1: this is if this psychiatrist listening, they're gonna they're gonna call for intervention, I'm sure. <laughs> but for example, um, in my room, in Stanford, my two rooms in Stanford, I purposely only put the minimum lights on. And ordinarily, I put lots of the lights on because I like the shadows, Hmm. all right? I I like it to be dim because it's reflective. It's quieter. I don't watch much TV in Lent. It's more focused. It's less distracting. And therefore, I find, and of course, this should be the lesson that I should learn for my entire life, I find easing into prayer much easier Hmm. and having a reflective spirit much more centered, even though it is an extraordinarily busy time ministerially. Isn't it interesting? Right. So like I have a ton of confirmations, parish visitations, meetings. I mean, just, but it's just, I, I my spirit is more peaceful. Yeah. So it is, in a sense, kind of like a desert experience. But that's just one physical. Even in the office, because I'm taping here from the office, I keep I I don't turn the lights on. And people must be saying, "This poor man." Just trying to save money. <laughs> I, I only turn on what I need, and I just, I, I just feel, I, I feel at home. That's just a strange sort of thing. I also do more walking in Lent. Ah, always have, always have, um, because you're alone with your thoughts. I, so again, I have this because one of the images that sticks in my mind was when I went to the Holy Land, and we've spoken about this before, but I still vividly remember looking at the Mount of, of Temptations and looking at the, uh, the cliffs and the barrenness of the desert where Jesus was, and to think that the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights was in and out of those caves, walking that, those ridges. And there's nothing, but there's such a beauty in a strange sort of way to all of that emptiness. And the starkness has its own sense of beauty, right? Yeah. That it's if I if I had more of courage, that that would be the kind of like day trip that you would just walk along those those paths in and out of the mountains. That um oh my gosh, it's like having an eight day retreat in a day. Hmm. And just the surrender to God, right? Because in the end, what is Lent, right? Lent is the pre-Easter preparation. It's the 40 days. We commemorate the 40 days that Jesus spent in the desert before he began his public ministry, right, in earnest. And it has become a period of penance and repentance and conversion, and metanoia for the baptized. But it was also originally for those to be baptized so that they could prepare with the fast needed before they entered into the mysteries of initiation, right, at the Easter vigil. So what we need to remember about Lent is that it is all about, it, all, it is all geared towards the celebration of the Easter sacraments. And for those of us who have already been baptized, it is for the renewal of our baptismal promises. Hmm. In the Easter night, or what they call um, the, uh, what is it? In, it's, the, it's the celebration of the vigil in the holy night. It's the one night, right, that has set us free. So, for those who are listening, I know we get we get involved with like prayer, almsgiving, fasting. We're going to talk about some of that and all the things I decided to do and things I'm going to give up and the charities. It's wonderful. All of that is important for the spiritual disciplines. Seek repentance, examination of conscience, absolutely. But it's all geared for that one moment when we renew our baptismal promises
0: yeah Mm
1: -hmm. i'm not sure that's always remembered
0: right right yes right Mm -hmm. um yeah because yeah i i know for me i enter into lent not with easter in mind
1: (laughs) yeah right sometimes i could fall into the same trap Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. i
1: think it's interesting
0: excellency that you started off talking about this how you you only turn on the lights that you need. For example,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right, and that's such a, a an interesting outward sign of the interior silence and starkness that you are, that trying, you are. To elite, trying to live. Trying to live, yes. Which then opens you up to hearing God even easier when you take your walk,
1: for example. Right, right, right. Exactly, right. So, so it, it's it's a lesson that that I guess Lent helps us to remember for the rest of the year that we're incarnate spirits. So how we live and the circumstances we put ourselves in and the environment that we create around ourselves are either conducive, neutral, or detrimental to spiritual life. Most of the time we hope it's neutral, but we can actually create a conducive environment. That allows us to more easily, if I could use the word slip, slip into the conscious, intentional, deliberate reflection on the faith, which pre consciously should happen all the time. Right. We always walk in the presence of God. We just raise the awareness, right, in our prayer. And I think, if I may, the fact that it's 40, well, of course. There's, you know, a lot of people have different opinions about well, the forty days. What does the forty days actually imply? What does it include? What is, does it not include? Does it include the Sundays of Lent, which obviously does not, because it's actually more than forty days between for Ash Wednesday and Holy Thursday, right? Right. But of course, we've always held that the Sundays are not the time of discipline. You could voluntarily do, but you don't need to follow the discipline, the observance of Lent on the on the Sundays, right? They're not days of penance; they're the days of the Resurrection but 40 days there's another piece to this puzzle in my religious imagination that may sound a little odd but when you think of 40 days steve where in sacred scripture are 40 days prominently featured
0: well like you said in the in the desert uh before he started his ministry but also For the lord mm-hmm. yes but also uh uh was Noah on the Ark for 40 days? Noah was on the Ark for 40 days. Uh-huh. Um 40 uh years of wandering in the desert
1: for uh-huh. Moses and the Israelites. Uh-huh. Um Jonah gave was given 40 days to convert the city of Nineveh Nineveh that he uh-huh. did in two. <laughs> uh-huh. Moses spent 40 days on Mount Sinai. Mm-hmm. Elijah spent 40 days and night walking to Mount Horeb. It echoes and re-echoes throughout all of the Old Testament. And therefore Jesus doing 40 days and 40 nights bring the culmination of all of that to its ultimate fruition. And why did Jesus go into the desert? Well,
0: I, I, I think the common understanding is that he was preparing himself for ministry Although, on the other hand, he's God, so does he need to prepare himself? (laughs) But maybe as
1: an example for us, I don't know. But see, that's a very interesting question, right? So we enter into Lent, we enter the 40 days with Jesus, because we need repentance and conversion. Jesus did not. But one could say that he went in, Precisely because it was a a period of intense communion with his father before he began to open that communion to others, which Hmm. is ultimately what Jesus' ministry is, to invite us into the life of the Trinity. So we would understand, we could say, oh my gosh, I'm going to the desert, what a sacrifice. For the Lord, it would have been a joy to spend that time alone, no distraction, nothing just he and his father united in the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? It's totally different way of looking at it than we would. Yeah. Same thing with temptation, right? So are we not going to, did we not just hear in the first Sunday of Lent the temptation story? Mm Hmm. So now what sense do we make of that? You mean because how can you actually tempt God? In the end, temptation is a disordered desire. It's feeding on a disordered desire. So your disorder desire for gratification can slip you into gluttony and lust and so many other things. But Christ had no disordered desires. So the, 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 the devil appearing before the Lord to tempt him was like water kind of rolling off the side of a of a duck, right? It, it can't get in mm-hmm. because there's no crack to get in. Right. It's not to say the temptation was not real, but it had no hold over him. Right? So why did he undergo the temptations? It would seem to me is because in this intense moment of prayer, the the father of evil trying to break into that which he can't Mm -hmm. is is almost a living parable for us who are going to be invited into that communion between the father and the son in the prayer and the the father of evil will be able to break into us because we do have disordered desires and so the lord is teaching us how to order them Hmm. again. So to put God first Right? and not to be t- taken in with the temptation of authority or wealth. right? In some sense, it was almost like a, ca- <clears throat> a catechism of the spiritual life. So in a sense, one of the things I'm going to suggest is that for all of us, as we go really into this Lenten journey, is use the temptations as the examination of conscience hmm. in our own lives. So what, 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 what does the temptation of self-reliance or, or, um, or the lure of authority or riches or pride, how much does that factor into my life that allows the father of evil to not just raise the temptation but literally take me out of the communion that I'm being invited into in the Lord? But what I was going to say before is every Lent, I use for my scriptural reflection during my holy hour the book of Exodus. Hmm. Because next to the Gospels, it is by far and away the one book of sacred scripture that absolutely religiously fascinates me, absolutely fascinates me, because of the image of Moses, right? Not simply because I've shared the story about, you know, when I was nominated to be a bishop and, you know, to be in the footsteps of Moses. But simply because for St. Matthew, Jesus is the new Moses. So the echoes of Jesus' ministry to come are reflected earlier in the life of Moses. They're prefigured, right, symbolized. But we think of manna and we think of the water that comes from the rock. Well, those are the Easter sacraments, baptism and the Eucharist, Mm -hmm. right? We talk about the Passover through the Red Sea, right? That is prefiguring the Passover of the Lord Jesus from death to resurrected life in his humanity. We talk about the battles that have to be fought. And Moses, when he tired, the battle turned against them. Yes. Well, isn't that in a sense a parable of what the spiritual life is? When we tire of doing what we need to fight against that which we need to fight against, we start losing the battle. The very experience of the desert itself. When does the desert, that is, when does the communion we share, the invitation to share communion with God, no longer become a joy, but become something to dread, which is oftentimes what we see the desert to be. So in many ways, I think Exodus puts a a, a layer of interpretation around Lent that I think is extraordinarily fruitful if someone wanted to make that their Lenten practice, and there's still enough time to do that.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. And just just like you were saying, Excellency, that we enter into Lent. We should keep Easter in mind. Uh, the Israelites entered into the desert. They should have kept the promised land in mind, but they didn't. They kept thinking about what was going on that
1: time right then in the desert. Correct. including the golden calf. Mm. So who's what, what what is your golden calf? What's my golden calf? Which if we don't give up, we're gonna have a ground and drink. Hmm. I, I, by our own hand. <laughs> by our own hand. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well said. Exactly. And the interesting thing too is, if you mark out this the cycle of Lent, there are some basic posts, guideposts, right? That kind of like in, in a journey it's like those highway signs that you run into when you have like when i was on alligator alley when i was in florida right so they said, they have those little signs that's like 40 miles <laughs> all this right <laughs> when you're you're going in a straight line seeming like forever right all right so lent starts with ash wednesday yes and i gave a rip roaring homily on ash wednesday at the cathedral right and and it's all about Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. There are two formula. I have never used repent and believe the gospel, even though it is probably the preferred version. I have not once in my entire priestly life ever used it. Uh, now, of course, the, the Vatican may call, but that's <laughs> <laughs> But remember you are dust, and unto dust you shall return.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so the desert, where it becomes a burden, and longer a place of communion can consume you into dust. Isn't it interesting, Moses killed the Egyptian who was striking a Hebrew and buried him in the sand and was found out to be the murderer that he was. Mm. Yes. So, So we begin with the recognition of our mortality and we begin with the recognition that in the end the the journey the journey could end with ashes and ashes dust to dust or it could end with more beyond our wildest imagination and the difference between the two is Easter. Hmm. So why are you going into the desert? To what purpose are you going? Right. And that is I think so that's where it starts. And then we have in the fourth Sunday of Lent, we have laitare sunday which is the respite it's the oasis in the desert to reassure us that most of the journey is already behind us because we can glimpse what is awaiting us which immediately in the old days was passion sunday which was two weeks before and we now we have it on was it passion Palm Sunday of the Passion, I believe it's called. So we combine the two in the Reform. But interestingly enough, we can still veil images from the fifth Sunday of Lent on. So there's still this sense that the last two weeks of Lent, the last week into Holy Week, is like the culmination. Mm -hmm. And like everything else, you need preparation to understand what's going on. So the fifth week prepares you for Holy Week. All of Lent prepares you for Easter. It's the same dynamic. And then, of course, Holy Week, we'll talk about as we get closer to Holy Week. So, everyone, I I just, I had mass with the young children at Holy Trinity, uh, a Catholic academy. They were great. They were great. And I gave my homily, and we talked about Lent and all the rest. And I said to them, I said, so, so, uh, we have to fast, which means we give up, give up food, and of course, the whole idea of fasting is the money that you did not spend on the food you give away to the poor. It's not mm. just a question of substituting steak for lobster. That's not the idea, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's it, the, the giving and fasting go hand in hand. So I said to the young people, I said, so what'd you give up? How many give up candy? Like nine-tenths of the young. Birthday. Yeah, right. Um, How many give up pizza? How many give up this, that, and the other cake? How many gave up their Nintendo or their PlayStation or their iPad or a few less? <laughs> Right? Because they're in <laughs> the midst of what we sacrifice. And I said to them, okay, how many of you gave up your sins? <laughs> they all kind of looked at me. Wow. How, how about fasting from our sins? I said, what good is it to give up candy if you're going to be nasty to your parents? Or to give up pizza if you're not going to listen to your teachers?
2: <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And then, as I'm driving away, I thought to myself, "Well, okay, preacher, put the, put the words, apply them to your own life." <laughs> <laughs> right? So, another th- perhaps topic for us to reflect maybe is: so, uh, what sin have we chosen to give up? Really, give up, right? And don't pick something easy. Pick something that's habitual. Yep. Like foul language when it's yeah. insulting to, or laziness or greed or sexual gratification when we, we reduce another person to an object yeah. or whatever it may be that people are kind of like any of us are kind of enslaved to to say, you know, I just fast from it in Lent. Because prayer, almsgiving, and the fast that we do from, from material things and food, could all be the disciplines to help you to take it and like a plant root it out. Yeah, Wouldn't that be a worthwhile Lenten
0: task? Yeah, we all have that one or two things that we're always in confession for every uh, every time.
1: That, see, so thank you. And I was, uh, thank you. I think that's excellently said. And if you're saying to yourself, okay, Bishop, I, I, I'm in it, I'm, for, I'm game, I'll do this, but I'm not exactly sure what that is then if you do go regularly go to confession, which I would say suggest we all need to do, mm-hmm. if you keep confessing the same sin over and over again, you have identified what that sin is. Yes. Right? Yep. And if it's a question of lack of charity, for example, the lack of charity is not that which you did, it's what you did not do, which is a different mindset hmm. than if I am lazy or if I am, um, I use my anger in inappropriate ways, or um, or I oh gossip. Gossip is a biggie. Such an easy one to do. And on social media, yeah. you don't even realize you're gossiping. Yeah. You think you're just offering an opinion when you're really not. You're talking about people and you're gossiping and you're creating almost an eternal record of something that can do detrimental harm to an individual. You know how much longer purgatory mm. is because of that? <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> right? Because if yeah. I say something nasty about someone to you, it's just to you. If I put it in print on social media and it lives forever, the damage is exponentially greater.
0: Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Gosh. How about, how about if we uh – we take a break here take a a deep breath (laughs) yes (laughs) take a break we can all kind of reflect on that um and and we'll come back we'll just keep we'll keep this uh conversation going about lent and Mm -hmm. maybe some more specific stuff and uh, as we're starting to get into already as it is Yep. so Mm -hmm. all right so this is let me be frank on the veritas catholic network with bishop frank Caggiano, and we'll be right back
3: The number is 203 742 1450 and select option five or visit www.ctcemeteries.org.
0: Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Excellency, you were talking about, uh, we were starting to talk about fasting and prayer yep. and abstinence. and You know, it's funny. Sunday.
1: This year I had a lot of people ask me, well, Bishop, so fasting, what does that exactly mean? What We, we formally fast on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, mm-hmm. right? which is very different from what we used to do right before the reform. And therefore, when we fast, which the law says but everyone between the ages of 18 and 59 are required to fast, and those who are older than 59 are encouraged to but are not obliged to, you really only eat one meal. And you can eat twice others, but those two times that you eat cannot equal a meal unto itself. Just to make sure that you can remain healthy and you know and right. conscious and, and no snacking, no snacking, mm-hmm. no. So um, I- I'm amazed at even when I fast. There's a voice inside of me that says, "Oh, but you know, but you're very busy. You have all these functions. The Lord won't mind. What's the difference?" It's amazing. Yeah. How the temptation, as if you could say, "My goodness!" For forty days and forty nights, the Lord didn't eat or drink, and now suddenly you can't do it for three hours. You have <laughs> got to be kidding, <laughs> right? It's it's such. We've talked about this because this is our third or
0: fourth, yes, third or Lent. fourth Lent together yep, with the, on the yep. show, and we've talked about this in the past. That I mean, come on, like the the rules for fasting for Catholics right now are so. I mean, I hate to use the word wimpy, but uh, but at the same time, I know what you mean because on uh, last week on Ash Wednesday, I, I was I I woke up I think that day hungrier than normal because I was of like course, oh I know I sure, can only sure. eat this much
1: <laughs> yes yes yeah, of course of course that's the father of evil saying yeah 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 go <laughs> right, eat right. go go to McDonald's <laughs> this <is> the day <laughs> but that's but that's part of the struggle right yes. that's part of the struggle you know when I used to go to the gym long ago my trainer used to say that to me right it's kind of a foolish thing and it's and it's somewhat inaccurate no pain no gain mm-hmm. but if you don't struggle through it you're not going to make progress well isn't spiritual life the same way And we excuse ourselves now i think the fact that we have relaxed the the laws of abstinence and fasting from when the pre-vatican ch- church does it mean that we can voluntarily apply ourselves to a higher standard. Again, it's just the minimum that's required. Mm-hmm. So this year, so far, I have not had any meat. I don't plan to have any meat until we get to Easter. In my life, I've never done that, right? Because when the laws changed, I was I was young. And it, to be honest, it's not like a big deal. Hmm. Believe it or not, I always thought it was a big deal, but it's not. You just lots of tuna fish. Thank God they have tuna fish, <laughs> thank God. right? Right, and it's but it has caused me to be more conscious of the Lord's presence hmm. because as soon as I go into my freezer and there are those chicken fingers, <laughs> and I say no, I have to ask myself why is that no? Yeah. Is, is this a moment of pride or why am I doing this? Right. Because I want to give thanks to you, Lord, right. for what I'm about to eat.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, you've, you said in the past, Excellency, the point of of giving up these kind of things for Lent is not to lose weight or get in shape or anything. It's to get into um, spiritual shape is how you've put it before, to get spiritually healthier and
1: stronger. Right. Um, right. That's That was my homily for... Uh, on Ash Wednesday, because we, basically my, my simple message was this, uh, we, we are being encouraged and challenged in so many different ways in modern society to, to take our health, all right? And not take it for granted. So eat organic food and no GMO and rest and moderate alcohol and go to the gym, and all the rest of it, because life's a gift. But what do you do for the spiritual life? What do you do for eternal life, honestly? And and if you say it's oh, I'm going to do this in Lent, well, why would we not do this 365 days? It's like yeah. going to the gym for 40 days and the other 300, <laughs> a, right? Right. I mean, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. Exactly. The funny thing is, though, it was the Council of Nicaea that actually mandated Lent, right? So imagine it was after the establishment of Christianity, the legalization of Christianity, when the when the catechumenate became more formalized. Hmm. Right? So Christians were already Christian and suddenly no longer persecuted were slowly lapsing and becoming lazy and kind of like going with the flow. And they said, oh, whoa, 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 wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute. And it's the same is true. That, and even now among Christians, it's interesting that this conversation about fixing the date of Easter, because we can't even agree on the date of Easter, yeah. which means we can't even agree on the observance of Lent. <laughs> And the length varies between the Orthodox and the Eastern churches, ourselves. You know, the Maronites start on Monday, the Eastern church, we start on Wednesdays. It's so, it, it's interesting, right? Yeah. So, f- prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Almsgiving is obvious, right? Or is it? What does it really mean? What does it mean? What do you think? What does it mean to you, Steve? When I say "alms giving,"
0: yeah, well, the—I mean, th- I think the traditional understanding is—is—is uh, is, is giving money to uh, the poor and to charitable organizations. How much money? Uh, so I don't—I've I, never heard a, a guideline of a percentage or an amount. Although there is the idea of tithing, which is ten percent.
1: Hmm. Hmm. This is the Kejano version of it. Okay. So what you're about to hear, you could dismiss. You're not going to find <laughs> it in the Baltimore Catechism. You're not going to find it anywhere. This is just my way of seeing things. Okay, folks? This is the bottom line. Almsgiving is giving sacrificially. Yes. Not just giving. And almsgiving can be material. It can be spiritual. It can be your time, it can be presence, it's whatever you are giving for the good of another that is sacrificial. And that makes it different than charity in my mind. Because the thread throughout all of it is we are geared, we are walking towards the sacrifice of Christ. When I say we're walking towards Easter, it's the death and resurrection of Christ. It's the Easter triddle. It's the mystery of our salvation. So the thread through it all is we walk in the footsteps of the Lord. So we're walking in the same footsteps that offered a complete free will offering. So what's the sacrifice I'm willing to give? Same thing with prayer. Christians are called to pray all the time, every day. Mm-hmm. But Lent is a time for a sacrificial experience of prayer, meaning that it takes time to the point where you will not be able to do other things you would ordinarily do. But that's the point. Yeah. And you can't sustain that for your whole life, but it gives you a sense of how important this is so that when you go back to your ordinary life, you will see it in a different way. You won't see it as the decoration of your life. You'll see it as the substance of your life. Right. So in my mind, almsgiving is sacrificial giving, right? That is, and that fits into Lent. Fasting, we already spoke about, and we could fast in many different ways. Fasting from pleasure, fasting from entertainment, fasting from wasting time, fasting from idle conversation, fasting from laziness and applying yourself to the things that need to be done, fasting from food, fasting from meat. In the Eastern churches, it's fasting from meat and uh, dairy products. Mm-hmm. You could go on and on and mm-hmm. on. What's the fast that you're embracing besides what we're required to do right? church?
0: Yeah, right. And, and biting your tongue is, a, is a, also another form of oh, fasting. I'm a, big, I'm a
1: big fan of fasting from opening your mouth. <sighs> Stop talking, especially when we're talking and we're hurting someone else in the process. Yes. Yeah. And sometimes that's gossip. Even when it's not meant to be malicious, it can still harm. Malicious gossip is even worse. And then there's open warfare that we've talked about many times. Stop it.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? Fast from it. Yeah. Yeah. mm mm-hmm.
0: Um, there's even this idea that as parents, you know, you're constantly calling your kids names when they're need to clean up their room or they haven't done this or they haven't done that. And how about calling your kid's name, uh, in a, in a, I don't know how to put it, but like in a sweet way, you know, to, to praise them for something instead. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right. You know, Let's talk about,
1: but, but, but. Let's talk about prayer just for a second. Yes. What is a sacrificial form of prayer in your in your opinion?
0: Wow. I uh, uh, I'm <laughs> I don't know if this says something about me, but the first thing that comes to mind is um, praying for people who really get on my nerves. <laughs> That's brilliant.
1: It's brilliant. I absolutely think, I absolutely agree. It's 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 going beyond the usual list of the people we pray for. Well, we all have them. Mm-hmm. It's not adding people who annoy you to no end. <laughs> right. Uh, or keep you up at night because of the nasty things they said about you. Yes. Right? Or their, purposed, their purposeful desire to hurt you or your reputation, right? Yeah. yeah. Very much so. To include them in that circle of intimacy with the Lord can be very sacrificial if you really mean it. Right. Because then it raises inside of you all of those cross currents of emotions and feelings and desires, and now suddenly you stand naked before the Lord in that communion, and you see something not quite pretty.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think even praying for uh, those people in your life who make you feel that way, even when you don't mean it, Excellency, because once you start praying for them, eventually you will start to mean it. And that will indicate to you a real change uh, in your own heart. Uh Um,
1: I would say this too, for myself personally, I've always said when we've chatted about, you know, prayer that I, I recite the rosary, I pray the rosary in the car driving to Bridgeport. So from Stanford, when I leave Newfield Avenue to Bridgeport here on Jewett Avenue, it's about 26, seven minutes. And it basically is the recitation of the rosary.
2: Street. Mm-hmm.
1: But if I were totally honest and nobody's listening, right, so turn off your volume, if I was totally <laughs> right. honest, okay? Part of that is also fitting it into my schedule. Mm-hmm. Because that means another half hour, right? in quiet or before the Lord that I have to figure out how to make the half hour that I'd be doing work, right? And so in Lent, it's no longer in the car. Ah, okay. It's in that, right? Right. And that is sacrificial. Exactly. Yes. Right, right. And then, because it has to be a bigger priority than fitting into my life. Now, if I were totally repentant and totally converted, that would continue after Easter. I'm not sure that's gonna happen, to be very honest. But for this period of the time, I have to be able to to show myself first and the Lord and Our Lady that they mean enough to me that I will carve out the time and everything else, if it doesn't get done, the sun will still come up. Right. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Because again, not to be too much, but because there's a pride element too to say, I got all this done. Well, (laughs) then you didn't get it done. But it's God's work. So, like, do with the best you can and you keep moving on. Yeah. See, yeah. All, all wrapped up with Lent. All wrapped up with Lent. It's an amazing thing. You know, two other things I wanted to raise. The first is, um, you know, in Rome, we've spoken about the stational churches. Yes. Right? And there's one church where all the pilgrims go. And Santa Sabina starts it. The Holy Father celebrates the Mass on each Wednesday. Uh, This year I was not able to do it, but I wondered to myself if we shouldn't in fact do something on the diocesan level. Celebrate mass every morning in one of 40 churches that we would designate and invite everyone to come and pray. How cool. Wouldn't it be a great idea? Yeah. How cool. And have the same people travel from church to church to church in the in in the diocese. Amazing. Mm-hmm. That, you think that would you think people would come?
0: I think people would come. Yeah, I think it'd be hard for everybody to go to all forty different churches.
1: Mm-hmm. But I mean, we're talking about making sacrifices. <laughs> mm-hmm. And of course, if if we could figure out a way to celebrate the confirmations and not involve the evenings. The ideal would be to do it at night. Hmm. And make one of the stational churches on Saturday the vigil mass for Sunday. Hmm. And just pick a Sunday morning mass for the seventh day. So you could do it at night, everyone could, well not everyone, but more people could come at night. Yes, Because if I remember Santa Sabina was at, it's at five in the afternoon when Ah. they start. Then the stational churches are, are very early in the morning. But seminarians, the religious—I mean, it's like it, it reminds me again of Exodus. It's like the this this the whole God's people kind of w- meandering your way through Rome. Yeah. But we do a, a mini version of it. I'm going to encourage everyone to do this, not simply because I grew up with it, but because there's a religious imagination attached on Holy Thursday night to visit more than your own parish church in the adoration of the Blessed Sacrament. Now, because we have to drive perhaps extensive distances between churches, you may not be able to do seven, mm-hmm. but perhaps do three, one, your own, and maybe two others, because yeah. it's the pilgrimage piece to it that's important, because we're walking, Jesus is walking through the desert, to the praetorium, to Calvary, he's walking, we walk with him. And the movement itself, the actual physical movement, is its own spiritual expression. It's extremely important that we focus on that. What's your favorite devotion in Lent? Ah,
0: uh, <laughs> See, I caught, huh? you, I ca- caught you off you guard. Caught huh? me off guard. Um, I think uh, it's the whole Holy Thursday,
1: the striddle thing. Okay hands down for me, hands down, it's Stations of the Cross, Hmm. hands down. And for a lot of reasons, a lot of reasons, because of their connection to the Holy Land, because of their origination as in a way, the ability for every believer to walk the Via Dolorosa even if you could not physically be in the Holy Land. For me, it's the connection with St. Francis and the Franciscans because it really originated in many ways, popularized by Francis. Because huh. we always think of Francis with the crush, but it's actually Francis France created the custody in the Holy Land that's been passed on to the Franciscans ever since. Wow. There was a time that only Franciscan churches had the Stations of the Cross. Then later on, they could go to other churches, but the Franciscans had to be the ones to bless them, install them. And then eventually they were passed on to permission for all the churches to have them. But they're deeply connected to Francis. Wow. Mm -hmm. Huh. So it's interesting. Crash and Passion. Passion yes animated right the two great mysteries of the emptying of jesus of the emptying of the son of god of the second person of the blessed trinity both both incomprehensible acts of humility emptying of glory to take on a human life emptying of the dignity right and going undergoing the passion and death on the cross animated francis in both ways right so the stations of the cross In many ways, I would absolutely encourage everyone listening to these words to find a form of the Stations of the Cross that resonate with you, because there are many versions. And if you can join your parish community for Stations in the Parish, please go. And if you can't then pray them on your own. Mm -hmm. And if there is a way to pray them while you are walking, do it. So if, for example, even in your backyard, just kind of make a circle and stop and pray the stations. Because again, it's the walking unites you with the walking. Jesus, every time I think to myself, the Lord walked through Jerusalem. And I remember when I went to the Holy Land, walking the Via Dolorosa and how those streets essentially have not changed much in 2,000 years, and how people were blissfully unaware of me as they were unaware of him. But to consider if those stones could talk, what would they say? Mm -hmm. And the thousands of people who walked those, who went to crucifixion, Christ was just one of them. Of course, he was Savior and Redeemer. I I think it just so much symbolizes what Lent means, the journey to Easter. And this idea that there's a 15th station and it's the resurrection, with all due respect, I understand why people and literature said it, but that it is not there for a reason. Because the 14th station is the preamble, it's the threshold to the Easter mysteries. It exists to bring you to the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Christ, but particularly the resurrection of Christ. So for the for the rest of the year, if you're celebrating the stations, which you could do any day of the year, to have a 15-station added for the resurrection could make sense. I personally don't do it, but it could make sense. But during Lent, I would not recommend it because we're always going towards the Eastern mysteries. <laughs> right. Yep. It's it's meant to leave you hungry. It's like the question asked, "Where's the answer?" Well, the answer is there, in the empty tomb.
0: The 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 name itself, the Via della Rosa, doesn't that mean the way of sorrow? Yes. yes. So,
1: yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, what are the stations? All fourteen, Excellency. <laughs>
0: well, give me a few. <laughs> uh, so. I, I, if I remember correctly, in the past you've said that your favorite one, if we could pick a favorite, was when Jesus meets his mother.
1: Amen. And yeah, what's interesting is again preparing for this. It didn't dawn on me now in my early old age. It's dawning on me that of the stations, the traditional stations of the cross, um, some of them are not found in sacred scripture. So Jesus meeting his mother is not really found in sacred scripture. Right. Jesus meeting Veronica, it's not to say it didn't happen, right. but it's not in the sacred scripture. It's in the, in the sacred tradition that's passed on in, in in the church. Remember, because it was Nicodemus and Joseph Arimathea who took down the body of Jesus and buried it. Not Our Lady, although the stations say it was Our Lady, and and St. Alphonsus, whose stations I use, Ligori, has Mary... Laying Jesus to rest in the sepulcher. She is the one who lays him in the tomb. Interesting. Hmm. Again, it's not to say that's not true, but it's not in the scriptures. So John Paul created a new version of the stations, right? When he debuted in the Colosseum, which is where the popes celebrate, he rearranged them. So if I may, just to, his version is different. This is what these are his 14. Okay. Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane is the oh. first. Jesus is betrayed by Judas and arrested is number two. Jesus is condemned by the Sanhedrin, number three. That's where the normal ones start. Correct. Right. Jesus is denied three times by Peter is number four.
2: Hmm.
1: Jesus is judged by Pilate, number five. He's scourged and crowned with thorns, number six. Takes up his cross, number seven. Is asked, Simon the Cyrenian is asked to take up his cross, is eight. He meets the women of Jerusalem, nine. Jesus is crucified, ten. When in the traditional ones, they're twelve, because Jesus falls three times in Mm -hmm. stations, traditional one. Jesus promises the kingdom to the repentant thief, is 11. Jesus entrusts Mary and John to one another, is 12. He dies on the cross, 13, and is laid in the tomb, 14. Interesting. So, whichever version you use, because John, John Paul was amazing, because John Paul you know, offered this version of the stations. He offered us the luminous mysteries in yes. the rosary. I mean, because he was a mystic, he was a saint. So, right. I mean, but whatever version, either one, I use the traditional one with all due respect to St. Yes. John Paul II. That's so, the one I was raised. Those right. are the ones that are in all the churches. All the churches. Right. 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 And the fact that the now found in scripture, uh, the, the fonts of, of revelation of scripture, tra- tradition, moderated by the magisterium i mean that's it's but nonetheless i would strongly recommend it so i try to do them every day but is non-negotiable on the fridays of lent
0: yes lent. you can find it in almost any paris pr- probably every parish here in our diocese oh my gosh does it? oh yes Friday. without a
1: doubt oh yeah. yeah without a doubt yeah without a doubt without a doubt that you would find it so that is something that i would recommend again because it's all about journeying towards easter yes if someone's listening to us, just if I may, before we go to break, and saying, okay, we're seven days into this, and I'm not exactly sure what I'm doing, do not despair. Start now. Figure out what it is and start now. Don't worry about the seven days. Worry about the day, the 30-some-odd days yet to come. Yes. Take the opportunity and do it now. And if you started with the best of intention, seven days into it, you're saying, oops, then, like Jesus, pick yourself up and keep going. That would be my spiritual advice. Amen. Yes. (laughs) Awesome. Okay. So uh, we'll take one more break
0: and be back with a listener question. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network, and we will be right back.
3: Hey, it's Matt from Restless on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Each week on Restless, we young adults restlessly seek the face of Christ in today's crazy and mixed up world. Join us each Friday at noon on 1350 AM, 103.9 FM, the Veritas app, or wherever you get your shows. Hope to see you there.
0: Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Our Excellency, we have, uh, this listener clearly is a a, a close listener to the show. (laughs) She wrote in she said, hi, Steve, hope you're well. I was listening to the bishop mentioned that the rules regarding excommunication have been relaxed, probably not his exact words. My question is, what qualifies someone from being excommunicated and what has changed?
1: Okay, so let's, let's answer this in two steps. Step number one, what does it mean to be excommunicated? And it literally means ex communion, that you are prohibited from receiving Holy Communion. So the unity with the church is broken. And it is in the law medicinal, not a punishment. Now in fact it's experienced as a punishment if you're unrepentant. If if the if the the sentence of excommunication doesn't force you doesn't force does it invite you and encourage you to change what caused it in the first place. But the church is not in the business of punishing its its members but giving them serious medicine. So if you are excommunicated it's an invitation to either clean up your act or you cannot be in communion with the church, right? So that's number 1 there are certain acts that do that automatically and they're listed in the law. There are not many, but there are. So for example, if my memory serves me correctly, if you physically harmed the Pope or sought to take his life, then that is an automatic excommunication. And those penalties can be lifted at times by a priest and at times only by the Holy See. Like sacrilege to the Blessed Sacrament. That's only reserved to the Holy See. So, for a priest, for example, there's a lot of misunderstanding here too. For a priest who leaves the priesthood, much depends on how he leaves the active ministry of priesthood. Because if a priest leaves and um, seeks laicization, then he's not excommunicated, he can live in the life of the church. Right, it really depends how it's done and and the intent of the person involved. As an example, right. When next we meet, if you want a clear list of what the I could look it up, right, as to what it is, what those sins, like what the sins are that would create an automatic excommunication, what's incurred because of an act that's done. But the the key piece here is that's medicinal, that's right. meant to bring a person back. Right. Yeah. So so
0: your your point is that. Um, If a church declares, if the church declares that you're excommunicated, the idea is the church wants you to come back into communion.
1: Correct. Correct. And sometimes it happens automatically by what you do. And the funny thing is, if you don't know it's an excommunicable act, it kind of loses the effect of trying to urge Mm. you to come back. Right. Which is an interesting thing. Yeah.
0: Great. So if you have a question for Bishop Frank. Send it in to us on social media, or you can email questions at VeritasCatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So is Veritas Catholic Network. And we would like to thank our sponsor, Foundations in Faith. It's a grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization that makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport, and you can learn more about their outstanding work at FoundationsInFaith.org. Excellency, thank you for this this guidance and this, this teaching. Oh, I, it, fantastic! My,
1: yeah, thank you for the opportunity. I enjoyed it very much. I and just then, hope I live what I said. Uh, <laughs> and then, uh, before we go, would you please give us your blessing? Yeah, of course. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. We give you thanks, Heavenly Father, for the opportunity to walk this Lenten journey. May your Spirit guide us in the wilderness. That we may shed ourselves of our sins grow in holiness of life and come upon the easter sacraments with hearts and minds renewed and i ask that your spirit bless us and bless all who are listening to us this day in the name of the father of the son and of the holy spirit amen amen okay i'll see you for week two
0: sounds good excellency all the best